0: Hello and welcome to Harvest Church podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. Good morning, Harvest. I'm excited to be here this morning. I just want to give you a backstory to how this happened. Last week, um, Robin and I were sitting where we always do, and George was preaching part two on his whisper. And I leant over to Rob and I said, "Um, Wow, that message, the significance of his voice, would be a really good follow me. I didn't say anything to George. Um, We drove home in the car, and I said to Robin on the way home, before the end of this week, George is going to message me and ask me to preach <laughs> this Sunday. Of course, it could have been that the rugby was on. I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, we hadn't even got home yet, I don't think. I don't think we'd even had lunch. And George just sent me a message to say, can you fill the spot for the Sunday? So I have no doubt in my mind that this was a yes that was a yes to God not necessarily even to George, and I have no doubt that this message is a message for each one of us, and I I have myself included in that because every time I speak, I'm speaking to myself as well as all of you because I have so much to learn. The title for this morning is The Significance of His Voice, and the scripture is a very short and easy one, a familiar one from Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp my feet and a light on my path. C.S. Lewis was a master storyteller and a profound thinker whose writings have impacted many hearts and lives. He was not just a, a writer, but he was a theologian, a Christian apologist, a scholar, and he was a university professor at both Oxford and Cambridge. But growing up, I knew him quite simply as a name on a children's book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is part of the series of the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this series, it's made up of seven books about four siblings, the Pevensy siblings, who are evacuated from London during World War II to escape the bombings, and they find themselves in a big, old, rambling English English mansion. One day, while the siblings are playing hide and seek, little Lucy, the youngest of the tribe, hides in a wardrobe. And she discovers that it is a magical wardrobe because by walking through the back of the wardrobe, she enters this magical land of Narnia. Narnia is filled with talking animals and fawns and dryads and it has been plunged into an eternal winter under the reign of the wicked white witch. The children embark on a quest to defeat the witch and to bring hope and spring back to Narnia. The hero of the story is the noble lion named Aslan. He is both beautiful and somewhat terrifying. He's a powerful Christ-like figure who in the first book of the series redeems young Edmund and in the last book he leads the characters into a beautiful afterworld. There's a portion though in the third book of the series that has captured my attention as an adult and has become one of my favorites, Lucy and the others. on a ship and they're heading into unknown, uncharted, and rather dark territory. It's chapter 12, Into the Darkness, if you ever wanna find it. They're beginning to wonder if they are heading in the right direction. And in the midst of the turmoil and the darkness, Lucy whispers, Aslan, Aslan, if you ever loved us at all, You would send us help now. And C.S. Lewis brilliantly continues, as only he can, encapsulating the benefits of intimacy with God in any state. The darkness did not grow any less, but she began to feel a very, very little better. After Lucy's somewhat faithless cry, Aslan in keeping with his character, is faithful. And she hears a soft whisper, George's preach from the last two weeks, in reply. And it says, courage, dear heart. And she knows immediately that the voice belongs to Aslan. Now I love this moment in the book, and I identify with it, as sometimes I have wondered, if God is leading me in the right direction. Especially when things aren't going the way I wanted or the way I expected. And very often, I've cried out in the chaos, sometimes a faithless prayer. And God in His faithfulness has responded with His significant voice, bringing a lamp for my feet and a light on my path always bringing calm to my chaos and direction in my darkness. You see, one word from God changes everything, even if nothing changes. I love what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. He says, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because It is not there, there is no such thing. And Dwight L. Moody expands on this and he says, there will be no peace in any soul until it is willing to obey the voice of God. Oh, to be always willing to obey the voice of God. You see, the voice of God created the heavens and the earth. And the voice of God holds the power to transform every aspect of our lives. The voice of God is not just a historical phenomenon limited to creation, but it is an ongoing reality that brings transformation. And God wants us to live lives defined by His voice because it's His voice that brings our transformation. The problem is that, unfortunately, there are many other voices that compete with His voice. Our mind, my mind, is a chorus of voices that do not always sing in perfect harmony with God's voice. There are some voices from childhood, words spoken over us, that have become repetitive, influencing, how we perceive ourselves. There are voices that result from our experiences, things that have been done to us and things that we have done to others that mark us and define us and create narratives that are different from God's view of us. And there are the voices from our social work and family environments, voices from our culture that vie for our attention shaping our beliefs and our values, and even shaping our identities. And then, there is the voice of the accuser, who casts doubt and criticism, creating an intricate interplay of confusion, a voice that arrives as an unwanted guest, when least needed, when least expected, and when we'll have the least capacity to decipher what he's saying. On a happier note, this morning, I'm going to focus on three consistent messages of God's voice in Scripture. And I'm gonna delve into three human resistances pinpointed by social science research offer us valuable insight into why in our human capacity we sometimes struggle to obey the voice of God. And I'm going to tell you some stories about myself and others of how God has challenged me and some of my closest people to be obedient to His voice, to keep in step with the Spirit, and how this has actually brought about transformation. The first one God's voice consistently calls us to courage. You'll see this over and over in scripture with God's children. The problem is that as humans, we like a good degree of certainty in our world, and this can create tension to being obedient to God's voice. The next one is God consistently calls us to repentance. The problem is it's much easier to live in denial confession results in action, but denial results in complacency. Number three, God's voice continually calls us to intimacy. The problem is that since Adam and Eve, we have this false perception that by being in isolation, it's somewhat safer. So number one, courage versus our need for certainty. The Bible is full of stories of where he asks his, where God asks his children to do incredibly courageous things without knowing what the ending will look like. Abraham, Moses, Esther, Deborah, Mary, Stephen, Paul, and young Timothy are just a few that were required to show incredible courage. The problem is that humans have an innate need for certainty. In fact, neuroscientists explain that the human brain craves certainty as much as it craves its basic needs, like food and water. In an interesting British study, in an interesting British study, it showed that dealing with uncertainty can actually be more difficult than dealing with bad news. In a fascinating British study, the participants were less stressed when they were told they would receive an electric shock 100% of the time than if they were told that they would receive an electric shock 50% of the time but not know when that shock was coming. In other words, you and me would rather be shocked 10 times consistently knowing that it's coming than five times in the same period of time but not know where the shock comes. We love certainty. It's wired into the human brain. Our brain is an anticipation machine, and it likes to know what is coming around the next corner. Now, the problem is with our brains is if we don't know, we begin to make our own assumptions. We often assume the worst. This is what we call catastrophizing. We overestimate the threat and we underestimate our ability to handle the threat in spite of the fact that if we look back at our lives, we can see that we have experienced many threats and we have managed many threats. Now, I am a textbook example of this. I love the title of the book by the businessman Andy Grove where he emphasizes the importance of vigilance with the phrase, only the paranoid survive. (laughs) And Jim Collins in Great By Choice expands on this a little bit, and he talks about something called productive paranoia, something I also enjoy. It refers to a mindset and practice of being highly vigilant, prepared, proactive, anticipating potential risks and challenges, even in times of success and stability. Now, productive paranoia, of course, can be a good thing, but unfortunately, not all paranoia is productive. Most of us have some unproductive paranoia. I have my fair share. I hate flying, I'm scared of heights, I despise small spaces, I do not enjoy public speaking, (laughs) and I really don't enjoy vulnerability. So right here, right now, is one of the most difficult things that I do. But the thing that I've learned about fear is that fear limits our lives. Thomas Aquinas said that fear is such a powerful emotion for humans that when we allow it to take us over, it drives compassion right out of our hearts. You see, fear causes an internal focus in self-preservation Fear makes us try and feel safe. But listening to God's voice calls us to other consideration. And when the voice of fear shouts louder than the voice of God, it makes it very difficult for us to keep in step with the Spirit. Up until about three years ago, in fact, it was February 2020, after preaching, I would experience severe anxiety. This reaction is known by different names depending on its intensity. Some call it post-preaching stress disorder. There's a name for it. Others call it post-sermon depression. At least I wasn't alone. But one evening after speaking at a Sunday night service, I became completely overwhelmed with an accusatory voice. And like Lucy, I began to wonder if God was leading me in the right direction. I cried out in the darkness, not conversations filled with faith, but negotiations filled with fear. And in a desperate conversation with God, I explained that the calling was too difficult. I, above all people, knew that this was not good for my mental health, and I was looking for permission to step away from the public speaking part of what I believe God has called me to from a young girl. That week, I decided, I decided that I had one of two choices. Either God needed to heal me, or I needed to quit. And during the course of the week, God began to speak to me. Because the voice of God is not a historical phenomenon, limited to creation, but an ongoing reality that brings transformation. And very gently, the Holy Spirit began to lead me into some different options other than my two limited choices of healing and quitting. And Jesus said to me, perhaps it's time for you to start listening to my voice instead of all the other crazy voices in your head. You see, the voice that you listen to is the voice that defines you And so I started changing my mind, particularly about what God wanted from me. You see, I realized that God was not asking me for a successful performance, but rather for my consistent obedience. He reminded me that I needed to stop looking and leaning towards my human need for certainty and control, but rather to start leaning towards His voice, calling me to courage, to do what wasn't pleasant and what was somewhat uncomfortable. You see, one word from God changes everything, even when nothing changes. And so I have a question for you this morning. Are you choosing your human need for certainty? Or are you leaning towards God's call to courage? Because God has a call on every single person in this room today, and His call generally requires a fair degree of courage. I sense that there's some dreams in some hearts this morning, some callings that maybe as young girls and young boys, God spoke to you, perhaps it was in another church in another place, perhaps it was in your adulthood, but for some reason, you've stayed in the certainty, and God's calling you to step out this morning and to say, I'm determined to fulfill the call that God has on my life. For me, in this journey, a journey of repentance began, which is number two this morning. And we see this as a consistent theme in Scripture. The problem is that as humans, we prefer to live towards denial. The Greek word to re- for repentance means metanoia, and it simply means a change of mind. I love how Dallas Willard describes it, and he says, repentance means that you are no longer going your own way, but that you are going God's way. The human resistance to repentance is denial, and it is what we call a defense mechanism when we refuse to acknowledge the objective facts. A young lady that I worked with for several years have given me, has given me permission to tell her story in this section of this message. In January 2019, a young lady in her mid-20s arrived for her first counseling session. Like many clients, she wasn't sure what to expect from the session, but she had this deep desire to change something in her life. She was living and working abroad, living what many would call the high life, earning well, living well, but she was not doing well. She explained her love for a good party, having fun, and especially how alcohol was impacting her life. She was an incredibly colorful young lady with bold language and a beautiful heart. Many people are in denial on the extent of their problem as owning a problem requires action, but denying it means that things can stay the same. And as she worked overseas, our meetings were quite sporadic, with large gaps in between. And each time she would come back, she would struggle with the same question, am I really an alcoholic? Now there's a powerful poem that best describes her journey of stepping out of denial and into repentance And it's called, There's a Hole in My Sidewalk. I walk down the road. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk I fall in. I am lost, I am hopeless, it isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in my sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I am in the same place but it isn't my fault and it takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I see it there. I still fall in, it's a habit, but my eyes are open. I know where I am, it's my fault, and I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street, there's a deep hole in my sidewalk, I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. (laughs) My beautiful young client made a decision to step out of denial and took the courageous steps of walking down another street at great cost to herself. On the 27th of August this year, I received a text from her celebrating her fourth year of her sobriety. She thanked me for my help and added in her message that she would never have been able to do this without a relationship with Jesus. You see, God's voice always calls us to number three, intimacy with Him. But before we go there, I just wanna spend a moment on this one. Are you leaning towards denial? in any aspect of your life? And do you need to take a moment this morning and start walking down another street? Since Adam and Eve hid in the Garden of Eden, humans have shown a tendency for hiding. Hiding gives us this false sense of security. If I hide away, no one can hurt me. The more I walk with people and spend time with people and the more I spend time with myself, the more I realize that one of the major causes of our isolation is this thing called shame. Now the origin of shame is complex. It can be trauma, judgment, criticism, rejection, But the one thing I think I know about shame is that shame is universal in some shape or form. Shame is the painful feeling of believing that we are somehow flawed and therefore unworthy of love, of belonging, and of connection. Shame drives us into hiding, and hiding deepens our pain. Shame keeps us separated and prevents intimacy and vulnerability with God and with others. Shame says there's something wrong with me. I will never be good enough. Shame limits our goals, our hopes, our dreams, our motivations, and it destroys our self-belief. Shame defines the way that we see ourselves and our potential. It wraps around us like an invisible cloak and forces us to find other ways to cope. With numbing, defensiveness, dissociation, hiding. The problem with shame is it becomes more powerful by being unspeakable. And the trouble with shame is it sends us into hiding and prevents the very thing that we need to heal our shame. Like Adam and Eve, Shame even causes us to hide from the presence of God. And if the accuser can send us into isolation, he can render us useless for the kingdom. But what did God do when Adam and Eve went into hiding? He came looking for them. Where are you, he said, not because he didn't know where they were, but because he wanted them to know that he was looking for them. Jesus is looking for you, where are you, he says. Come to me, I'm coming to find you. I want to invite you into an intimate relationship with me, a relationship that requires no hiding of any event that has been done to you or that you've done to anyone else because with the cross he paid for it all so that we can walk free from our shame and walk in relationship with him with nothing hidden. Don't let your shame keep you away from people or from Him this morning. I remember the day shame entered my life. I remember what it felt like, and I'm familiar with its feeling now when I experience something and I can feel it arrive. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, not this time. I carried you too long. I will not live with you today. See, the Holy Spirit calls us out to be fully seen, to be fully known, to be fully healed by the love of Jesus. It is His great compassion for us that heals our shame. Your shame is healed in intimacy with Him, and His love wraps around us like a healing balm for our souls. And God's voice says, I love you as you are. Come closer and keep in step with me, but I don't want you to stay as you are because I have so much more in store for you. And as we listen to his voice, God's voice can transform chaos into order, darkness into light, and despair into hope. And so as we end this morning, if the worship team can please come up. I wanted to preach short today so that we could linger long. Some things need to be responded to in the moment. And as I was preparing this for harvest, I I preached it at a different church, but as I was preparing for you, I literally had pictures in my mind of people that needed to deal with a few things this morning. And so I wanna make sure that we have an opportunity for that. Some of you are here this morning and I've touched on it, but God has called you to do something incredibly courageous. But you've been a little bit complacent because of your need for certainty. You've been holding back. You guys can play anything. Just bring us some praise and worship, please. perhaps you've been a bit like me and you've been confused between the difference between success and obedience and you've realized maybe that it's actually time to surrender God is not asking you to be successful He is asking you to be obedient and actually it's in uncertainty that faith begins so if, you, that's, if that's you this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would like to say to Jesus, I'm ready to step forward and be obedient to your call to courage and do that thing that I've resisted for so long for various reasons. I wanna give you a moment this morning To just glance up at me, I just want to make eye contact with you. Just want to see you just as a moment of commitment. I see you all over. I see you. 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 So many. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and empower these for the work that you have called so many in this room to. Lord, I pray for your spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. I pray that you would fan into flame the gift that is within them. And Father, I commit every decision in this room to you. Enable, empower, and equip. And Father, give them wisdom as they walk out your calling and courage, the David courage that was able to go at Goliath because he knew that his God had called him. Now some of you this morning have identified with my story of my client. And this morning you need to name your giant that you are fighting and your area of struggle. I don't think that God can heal what we deny. I'm not sure, my theology might be wrong. And maybe it's not an addiction, but it's a bad habit and a cyclical puzzle that you're stuck in. And this morning as I was teaching, you knew that this wasn't gonna God's best for you. You thought about it, you had a picture of it, And you knew that it was time to change, to take some different steps and go down a different road. So if if that's you this morning and you would like to make a commitment this morning to name it and change it, would you just take a moment and look up at me? I'm not going to draw attention to you. I'm not going to single you out in any way. But if you'll just take a glance at me, I want to pray for you. God is in the changing business. I see all of you. Jesus, come and heal. Father, I know that there's a deep thing that drives this type of behavior. And Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you will do in a moment that months of counseling can't do. Fill with your peace and your power and your strength. Holy Spirit, I pray that there would be a significant deposit right now of disdain for the things that are not of you and a joy for the things of you. Father, I pray for a deposit of self-control and that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide into every good and healthy choice and habit and would give a particular distaste for what needs to be changed. And now the last one, perhaps the most important one this morning. I have a sense that there are many in this room that have not lived in true intimacy with Jesus. And you've heard His voice calling you this morning into the kind of intimacy that has nothing hidden nothing shamed, where you can openly bear yourself to Him and you know that there's not a single part of you that He despises, dislikes, or criticizes. If you've heard His voice this morning and if you would like to come into an intimate relationship with Jesus, I'd like you to take a moment and just glance up at me this is the beginning of something new. I see you. I see you. I see you. Jesus, I thank you for so many open hearts this morning. And Lord, we celebrate a new beginning today, a fresh start. And I pray that today marks something brand new. Where each one here understands what it means just to be with you and sit with you with no shame. And Jesus, in your name, I remove the mark that shame has placed on these lives. That has made them feel different, not good enough, not worth it that has made them feel left out, not worthy of coming into the place of intimacy with You. And Father, I pray for those particular memories, things that happened in rooms, that You just come now and You touch and heal that memory. And Father, we receive Your Word that You love us, that we are Your beloved And nothing can take that any that away from us. And I sense this morning right now that there are some of you that need to forgive yourselves for something that you did long ago, or maybe even as recent as last week. Jesus died so that you are forgiven and you do not have to hold any shame. And I just want you to take a moment to be gracious to yourself and to thank Jesus for his forgiveness, that you are clean and pure, and that your slate is clean and pure. We thank you, Jesus, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.